The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin Nelson with another edition of Wrestle Podcast. And you can follow Wrestle Podcast at Podcast City Network at podcastcity.net. And you can follow my live episodes at Wrestle Podcast on Spreaker.com, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. And you can follow me at Twitter at WPopcast1 and on Facebook at Wrestle Podcast. And my guest tonight is Dirty Andy Dalton. How's it going? Nah, it's going pretty good, just keeping it dirty as always. Alright, so what have you been up to lately? Uh, staying pretty busy, man. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it was either last week or the week before in a five-day stretch and I had four shows. Uh, I did Wednesday, Thursday, took Friday off, and then I had Saturday and Sunday. So, um, staying pretty busy. That's the name of the game. Keep your face and name out there and keep moving and shaking and uh, trying to get as many eyes on you as humanly possible. Hey, that's pretty good as well. Um, you're also a second generation wrestler, um, and your dad is Frank Dalton, who's part of the tag team, the Dirty Daltons. Um, can you tell yes, us? Can you tell us a little bit about your dad, Frank Dalton? Yeah, um, he broke in. I think the, the mid to late sixties. He was trained by uh, Jackie Fargo, who uh, trained the Um and he contributed a lot to the wrestling business. Uh, he trained my dad and. They teamed, uh, then Fargo with Jack Dalton, and they teamed all over the Gulf Coast area, St. Louis, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana. Um, it's unfortunate because that era of wrestling, like, they would record shows, aired on TV, and because tapes were so expensive, they'd record the next week over it and air it. So, like, they just used one tape over and over again until it was worn out. I really don't have much footage of my dad um, actually working. Um, he actually had a stroke. Uh, he took a bad bump in the corner, and he, uh, his head popped the terminal post. Uh, the next day, he was paralyzed on his entire left side. Um, about eight months later, Cowboy Bob Kelly helped him rehab and get back in the ring, and he got back to working again. Um, he had got back to as good as he could be, but not as good as he once was. So uh, he slowly kind of phased himself out of the wrestling business, um, did some stuff uh, in uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling here in Texas um, a couple times under a different name under the name Gene Stevens. Um, and I think he realized, you know, he was just an enhanced talent underneath guys. So I think he saw like the writing on the wall and kind of got out of it. Uh, he was working at a uh, at the uh, Galleria Hotel as a bellhop in Houston, Texas, and he got a call from uh, the Colonel Buck Robley, who was uh, booking the South at the time. Colonel told him, "We got this guy coming in named Kamala." and we need someone to wear a mask and be his man Friday. My mom has told me that's kind of like a, it's a play off of a character from a popular television show at that time. Uh, I wasn't bored yet, so I don't know much about it. There was some television show with some dumb guy and he had a person with his man Friday. So wrestling always being one to kind of uh, shadow or mirror pop culture. Um, gave Kamala his man Friday and my dad was uh, Friday for Mid-South, the um, uh, uh, world-class Texas territory, and then Kamala's 84, uh, like the, from like September of 84 till February of 85, his initial WWF run. Um, and then they went back to Mid-South, and my dad's last appearance was the angle between Terry Taylor and Kamala where Terry Taylor 
know, hit the ring in Mid-South, and uh, Kamala was actually wrestling. And it's cool because I'm able to find, obviously, a lot more Kamala footage with my dad is Friday. Um, but I was looking for the footage of my dad's last appearance on Mid-South television, and Kamala was in the ring with an enhancement talent, and he was squashing the guy, and Terry Center hit the ring, cleared house, and Powell drove my dad on the concrete, quote-unquote, broke his neck and put him out of wrestling. Um, but going back and watching the footage and finding it, the gentleman that Kamala was in the ring taking on was Shawn Michaels. So that's kind of a cool thing. Just my dad's career was ending. Shawn was starting and, you know, growing up, Shawn was one of my idols. So that's always cool. Um, that was, I believe, March of 85, and I was born in June. Um, my dad was like, I've got a son now. Uh, I'm going to stay home with him. And he got kind of a real job, and that's kind of that's how his career went. That's pretty good as well. So what did your dad think about you about becoming a pro wrestler? People always ask me what our interaction was concerning wrestling. I'm like, I was scared because all the pictures I had that my mom had kept and the newspaper clippings and everything. And like, if you look up pictures of him, he was, the Dirty Dolphins were legitimate Hells Angels. The Hells Angels inducted them. They were members of the Hells Angels biker gang. Really? In some territory, yeah, in some territories, they were known as the Hells Angels. Um, the, the Hells Angels would escort uh, my dad and Jack from town to town because there were so many issues back then with like as a matter of fact my dad had a scar on his back right inside from where a fan stabbed him in the back like the upper shoulder blade wow they were massive heels and you know and it was a different time that stuff was like a big deal and that's when you know you had good heat like your stories of classy Freddie Lassie being shot so like that kind of stuff was going on in the area in the Gulf Coast area so the Hells Angels uh, inducted my dad and his partner into the Hells Angels and they were legitimate Hells Angels. They rode with them and partied with them and all that stuff. Um, so I think it was cool to have that legitimacy to it. But looking at the pictures and like having, knowing, seeing those pictures and having my dad on it, he was only 5'10", but as a little boy, that's a giant. So I loved my dad. He was my best friend, but it was intimidating as fuck. <laughs> so like, I never really got too much into wrestling talk with him because I didn't want to say, well, hey, how did this match go? Or what? Yeah. I read this newspaper clipping, I see this picture of you covered in blood, like, what's that about? But we always watched wrestling together. And he had his favorites. And through our bonding of watching wrestling, we'd go out in the front yard and kind of grapple a little bit and play around. And uh, I remember watching wrestling with him and he slowly, I think, opened up to looking at me past as being a kid who was just like, oh, cool, it's something on TV. And like, I, I really honestly don't like my dad saw my dad for it because then he kind of opened up like the other day was on TV with Paul Bear and my dad was like you see that guy Paul Bear Percy Pringle he used to ride with your dad when he broke in he was a big fan of your dad and I was like what? like that guy's name isn't Paul Bear? like I was completely mind blown because I mean I'd heard my mom and dad get into arguments before because she would drop the F-bomb concerning wrestling uh, and then the F-bomb being fake and my dad being an old school guy, we didn't play that. Uh, and the argument was always, it's not fake, it's a work. So you need to respect what put food on the table. And, and, and over time, my mom learned to respect it. Um, I think she was just saying in passing, not being uh, malicious about it at all. But I just, I had this like, crazy respect for wrestling. And I think when he started kind of breaking down, like, that's not Paul Bear, that's Percy Pringle. And there's stuff, because I, I was in the bubble. I was in the WWF bubble. Uh, I discovered WCW maybe when I was like six or seven. The Rob, I guess I was 91, 92. But I was a WWF guy. I knew nothing about territory, anything before that. And I slowly 
he slowly kind of broke down more and more. And then um, we were living in Houston, Texas at the time, and the Raw was in Houston in January of 95. And I got home from school, and my dad's like, do you want to go to Raw? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was cool. He's like, uh, Paul Bear, got me ticket. And I was like, you're not kidding. Like, this is all real life. Yeah. Uh, my dad, had, he would do a Gulf Coast wrestling reunion every year, which still goes on to this day. And they would always reconnect there. And we went to the show. I remember we were, you know, I'm not expecting anything. I'm, t- I'm nine years old. I'm watching Raw from the bleachers. Like, it's a cool experience. It's actually, they taped three Raws in one night, which was such a brutal beating. But it's the Raw that had William Shatner on it in Houston. I remember watching the show and a couple matches in my dad's like, hey, you want to get a drink? I walk over, we get a drink. And I was like, hey, can I get some merch? And at the time, my wrestlers were Bret Hart, Art, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker. Those were my four. Uh-huh. So I convinced my dad to buy me the Bret Hart glasses because I thought they were Bret and Owen. You know what I mean? I still loved them both. Yeah. We got them and I start walking towards back to the corridor to our season. He's like, Andy, where are you going? I was like, well, don't watch the show. Just come on. So, like most readers, it, like it was like a circle, a big circle. We start walking towards like the back end of the circle, and I'm like, Dad, what are, you, what are we doing? He didn't answer me. I was like, hey, Dad, what are we doing? And he didn't answer again, so I was like, all right, I, I'm just going to shut up. So we walked through a curtain, walked down some steps, and Paul Bear is sitting there, and I can feel myself like, uh, uh. <laughs> get closer, Paul Bear looks at me and looks at my dad and goes, well, I'll be damned. His hair is longer than the Undertaker's. Because I've had long hair since like I was two. I've never had a little boy's hair because it's always been extremely long. At one point, it was down past my butt. So I was just like, oh, wow, hi, I'm Andy, nice to meet you. And he's like, oh, and they talked a little bit, and he waves us back. And we start walking through the locker room, and I'm like, is it, what the, okay, time out. <laughs> Guys were stopping and shaking my dad's hand, showing respect, like uh, the Bushwhackers, Chef Jarrett, Men on a Mission, Jacob and Eli Blue, Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jeff, just everybody. And then we turn a corner and go to the room and see Undertaker's dressing room. No makeup, he's getting his hair done. Yeah. He's like, hey, Andy. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> just says my name. And we just start talking. And, I, and I'm just completely mind blown. Michaels walks by, stops and talks to me. Owen stops and talks to me for like 20 minutes. Wow. Didn't know me from anybody. And that's why I, I always like telling that story because the nicest guys were Sean taker and Owen. Oh, I could definitely see I was in, t- in Taker's locker room, so obviously he was, you know, to the connection with Paul Bear. Michael stopped and talked to me and I fumbled around work around and I was like, dude, my sister has a huge crush on you. Like I'm trying to talk to me. He's like, hey kid, it's okay. Just talk to me. And I was just like, uh, well, you're awesome. And he's like, well thanks. And we kinda just sat talk, talked to my dad, talked to Taker. Owen came and I'm like squatted down and just sat and talked to me for like twenty minutes. And I'm just um, as a kid, I mean this is not a cool experience. Um, I had a, I don't want to bury anybody on a podcast, but I had a negative run-in with Bret Hart. Um, I remember, it's almost like the commercial used to air. Uh-huh. It was probably about 15 feet away from me to the side, he was to the side, and he was the last guy out of my four that I hadn't met yet. And I hadn't talked to him, and he's standing there and like, not doing anything, I mean, he's waiting on somebody or something, and I said, and I blurted it out, and I, I probably out of turn or disrespectfully, but I didn't mean to. I was like, hey, Brett, like just trying to get his attention. And I'll never forget, he turned and gave me the Venus go to hell look. Wow. I was crushed. So I was like, uh, all right, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go back to the bleachers and watch the rest of the 
when I went back to the bleachers, and I'm looking back now, how dumb was I? I could have sat back there and, like, just soaked all that in, but I'm still such a fan. I'm like, okay, cool. They're cool guys. Thanks, y'all. I'm going to go watch the show now. Um, so my dad walked back at the seats, and I didn't know this until after my dad died, and my mom told me. My dad went back to the locker room uh, just, you know, hang out with the guys and talk to them. Yeah. And because he had seen what happened with Brett, he walked up and sat down next to Brett because Brett was signing the eight by tens, I guess, to hand out a promo thing or maybe yeah. it's like hey we gotta sell these so whatever so my dad's like uh, hey man um, earlier my son tried to get your attention uh, and I think he's worried that you didn't like him or something and so Brett's like he's not acknowledging him but my dad's talking clearly and loud enough and sitting next to him uh, and Brett just turns and goes I'm sorry are you talking to me and mm. my dad was like no it's alright so you have a good day pat him on the shoulder got up and walked off um, and my mom told me that story so like since then I've had like this internal hate for Brett and I hate it because like I've done such a good job in the last couple of years because I've dealt with like, a lot of personal issues and real life uh-huh. garbage I've tried to like pull hate out of my heart and hate out of my vocabulary when using it towards like a person or an idea or uh, a memory because I've got an 8 year old daughter um, her name is Mia she's the only one in my life and I remember her coming up to school and saying she hates something and I want her to grow up and you know have a better life like any parent than their own yeah so I drew a picture I drew a picture of a heart and I wrote love in it and I was like Mia this is your heart and then I drew a square inside of the heart and I was like hate and I was like you have hate in your heart so what that means is that little section of hate is the less love you can give to daddy or mommy or your friends and she's kind of sat there and she's like well, I guess I don't hate that. I just don't like it. So, you know, being, being a dad has kind of like changed things for me in the perspective of uh, trying to take hate out of my vocabulary. But for a long time, like, it was bad. I harbored a lot of hate towards Brett because I was 10, I was 9 years old. Like, so, um, but back to the original question, like, that was kind of my experience of wrestling with my dad. Like, we always, we always watched it every Saturday morning. I'd get up in the morning before him. My mom make him coffee. I'd take him his coffee. You wake up, we'd come to the couch and watch All-American Challenge every Saturday, or Superstars. Raw, Monday after school, he'd be on the couch, eat the bowl of Cheerios, and I'd sit right next to him and watch Raw every week. Never failed. Um, he actually died in October of 95. Uh, and like, I'd always said, hey, I'm going to grow up dad and be just like, you be a wrestler. And, I, and I'm not sure if he took this serious. I'm nine, uh, eight, 19 years old. How serious could that, you know, a child be about something like that? Um, and... He would always kind of smile at it and chuckle, and I, 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 I don't never know if he took it seriously, but I remember the day he died, I was like, all right, like, if I don't do it, then I lied to him. And, like, I even, I, I kind of understood wrestling a little more as time went on, and I saw the, the boom of, like, the WrestleMania 1 era in the, in, the, in the 80s, and then it was a down period for the attitude, before the attitude era and stuff, kind of at that time, and I was like, man... The guys from the 60s and the 70s will never get the recognition they should have. So like, I kind of made it my purpose to like bring attention to me and my dad's name. And that was like my goal. So I want people to know who my dad was through me. Uh, and at 10 years old, I, don't, I mean, I set up those anyways, but I remember being like, now I have to do it. And started training at uh, 17, a month by two months before my 18th birthday. I had my first match January 31st of 2004 and minus two different injury times I had to take two months off 15 years consistent 
that's pretty good as well. Um, you were also uh, mentored by Steve Carino and Lance Hoyt. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, I met Lance at a show in Dallas, Texas. Um, he wasn't the friendliest, or maybe that was just my perception of him because I'm, I'm a year or two in. He's a, you know, he just got on TNA, so he's like the first big superstar name I'm interacting with while I'm in the business. So I'm just kind of like, oh, oh God. Uh, we were booked together at a show in San Antonio, Texas, and we had another show that was nine hours away together the next day. And I remember messaging him on MySpace and be like, look, we've only been on a couple shows because you don't really know me, but can I ride with you from San Antonio to Louisiana for the show? He's like, yeah. Uh, and from that point forward, we bonded. Lance has been the biggest contribution to my career as far as like any success. Uh, and in my personal life too, he's a super devout Christian. He's helped me with so many little things like wrestling, my personal life, my family life, parenting, religion. He is the man solely responsible for getting me booked in pro wrestling, Noah, because Suzuki was on loan to Noah at the time from New Japan. And he went to the office and was like, hey, if you guys need uh, an American guy, let's get this guy over here. Um, he knew that I had like a huge fandom for Naomichi Marafuji. And uh, he actually brought Marafuji to my shirt and Marafuji would take pictures in them and post them online or send them to me. He um, he once had Marafuji send me a, a voucher, which is like a walkie-talkie app. Uh, and I remember I woke up one morning because of the time difference and I was like, why do I have a voucher from Lance? And I play it and all it said was, Stay Dirty, Andy Dalton by Marafuji. And I was like, what? <laughs> like that's, 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 that's my Japanese idol. Like he's in my top five of all time. That's, that that dude just watched me. Yeah, I know that sounds very Marrakesh and fan, but man, I'm still a fan of pro wrestling. Like, I, I don't, I, I still enjoy wrestling. Um, so Lance has been like there every step of the way. Um, <clears throat> I'll peel back the curtain a little bit and if he ever hears this, he'll probably kill me for telling people this, but <laughs> I want people to know what kind of a dude he is. When I was corresponding with the NOAA office, they explained to me the situation. It'd be uh, three months in the dojo. I would train there. I'd have a free place to stay, free food. Uh, I would be paid a monthly paycheck. And then, but they're like, you're going to have to pay for your own flight. And I didn't know that going into the situation. Yeah. Uh, I went to Lance and I was like, well, first I checked on prices. And the cheapest I could find, uh, I think I got the information around the end of February, early March in 2016. I was supposed to leave in June. So a few months out, so I could get like a, a, a relatively cheap because of the time before I was actually yeah. fly out. But the cheapest I could find was twelve, thirteen hundred dollars round trip. And I'm an aspiring wrestler. I've got part time jobs, but I've got kids and I've got child support. I've got a son as well. So like yeah. paying thirteen hundred dollars to go spend three months away from my kids in a foreign country and not make any, you know, but I make, make a monthly paycheck and bring that back. I'd have to bring it back and pay part of child support off, and I'm still gonna have to pay bills when I get back. So I went to Lance and I was like, I really appreciate you going to bat for me and getting me booked and doing all that. I can't afford a thirteen hundred dollar flight, and it's just not feasible. He said, "Hold on." I was like, all right. An hour later, he calls me and he goes, "All right, I've got a friend that works for Delta. Through Lance's career working for TNA for as long as he did, and WWE, and New Japan, and All Japan, and Noah, and through all this, he has racked up." 
an gargantuan amount of like freaking firemiles. Uh-huh. And he had a friend that works for Delta. Now, he called his friend and had miles transferred from his name into mine and gave me free miles to fly me to Japan. So I paid nothing to go to Japan. That's pretty cool. Um, you did three tours with uh, Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan as well. Yeah, that was that was the time frame. I was there for three months and then we lived in the dojo and trained there and while training I did uh I did two tours. The first one was just a normal tour. The second one was the GHC Junior Tag League and I did the first two shows of the third tour, but my visa ended right right in the beginning of the tour. So I started the third tour, I did a couple shows and then I had to go home. Um and that was all because of land. Lance went out of his way to make it completely possible for me to get an opportunity. Uh, and I feel like, I mean, I've, I've wrestled for Ring of Honor. I've been in that just with WWE. I've wrestled all over the United States. I've wrestled WWE Hall of Famers. I've wrestled WWE guys, Ring of Honor guys. I've been on Ring of Honor television. All that stuff. I really think that my time in NOAA was the most valuable to me because I learned so much and I was able to grow as a performer. And none of that would have ever been possible without Lance. Uh, Lance and like I, I still send matches to Lance to watch and critique. Uh, I still ask him for opinions on like, hey, should I add this move to my repertoire? Do you think this is cool? Or how about this for new gear? Like he and uh, him and Steve Crane are my go to guys for everything. Uh, and I think that's like <clears throat> that's probably a random two guys to have as mentors. But if you look at the success of both of them, they both have pretty much worked everywhere and done everything. So it's not a two it's not two bad guys to have helping you and coaching you along. Yeah, it's pretty good as well. Um, also, you have Dirty tattooed on you as well. Uh, I actually, uh, <laughs> with a name drop here, uh, I'm actually, I'm at my apartment and I have a female friend here, and my female friend here is actually Amber Gordy, daughter of WWE Hall of Famer Terry Gordy. Uh, she's a family friend of mine, and I've known her for years, and we're just hanging out. And I just heard, I just told her this story because she didn't know it. Uh, when, I, when I took on the Dirty Monica... And I had done some other gimmicks before, and I just couldn't figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. Yeah. But once I saw the dirty thing, it just kind of clicked, and it all worked. I always joked about getting the tattoo. Well, the way I was raised, there's no such thing as extra money. Extra means more than is needed, and money is always needed, so there's no such thing as extra money. Yeah. So I, was some friends, I was out with some friends one night, and they were like, hey, man, why haven't you gotten that tattoo? And I was like, ah. I, I, I mean, I pay bills. I, I don't have the money to throw away for a tattoo right now. Yeah. And I haven't put enough thought into it to actually start saving because when I said I would get it, I was kind of half joking. Like, it's not that I didn't want it, but it was just kind of like a ha-ha, yeah, that'd be cool to get dirty tattooed on me. And my son was like, he's actually a referee, his name is Anthony. Um, he was driving and I was in the backseat. He had another friend in the passenger seat. We'd been out drinking a little bit. And he goes, what if, what if somebody paid for it? And I was like, well, dude, Money isn't an option, and I, I don't see why. Let's do it. We happen to be passing a tattoo shop. He slams on his brakes, hits a U-turn, and pulls in. Parks. Looks back at me and goes, is he going to get it? And I feel like he's kind of calling my bluff. So I feel like, you know what? We'll call it his bluff. I'm like, let's go. Walk inside, walk up to the guy, and I was like, hey, man, I don't get the word dirty tattooed on me. Um, how much is that going to cost? The guy goes, well, normally it'd be 90 bucks, but because of where you want to get it, I'm going to have to charge you 120 I look back at Anthony and he slams his credit card on my counter and goes, ring it up and give him a $20 tip. And I was like, oh, all right. About an hour later, uh, I was branded and I now have the word dirty tattooed right above my crotch. <laughs> that is awesome. 
I bet the ladies like that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite the conversation starter. People ask how I got the nickname Dirty, and then I'll go, I'll tell them, hey, well, you know, this is my deal, it's whatever. But it's even cooler, it's tattooed on me. Everyone's like, well, where's the tattoo at? And I instantly bless, and they're like, oh, God, where is it? And I was like, eh. It's an easy conversation starter. So. <laughs> I'm also. Unique attention. I bet. Um, also, you had great chemistry in the ring with ACH and uh, Sammy Callahan. What was that like to get in the ring, especially with Sammy Callahan? Uh, I've been following Sammy for a long time. I modeled my, oh, I, a lot of my stuff after him. We're both about 5'7". We're both, like, that was a fat kid growing up. I was like 260 pounds, 270 pounds. When I broke in, I was about how much I weighed. I've gotten down to 160 uh, but I didn't think it looked healthy. I think I looked too small. There was no muscle. I just was like a skinny kid. Uh, I sit at about 210 now. Uh, I think 190 to 200 was the best look for me. So I'm going to probably get back down to that because I've got some ring of water shots coming up in January. Um, I, I just, I, I don't like Sammy. Like, I mean, because he was a smaller guy. And he was very hard-hitting and in your face. And our styles are very much similar. I always tell people we're just alike, except I'm like southern white trash country music and he's like death metal like we're the same guy just different genres <clears throat> and he had heard about me a couple times from different people uh through mutual friends like Masada and Dave Crest and when he got released from NXT I put feelers on trying to get him booked against me and a company on here in Dallas and I don't know I, I, wasn't, I wasn't satisfied I wanted the singles match uh the fans wanted the singles match because the minute I I had a flyer made that said who's ready for the Callahan death machine to get dirty and it had like a bunch of promotions at the bottom like logos and I was trying to get people to bite and like when I posted it on Facebook everyone's like yo that match would be awesome See, just left NXT had a bunch of buzz uh, I was killing it all over Texas I was getting some buzz going <clears throat> it, it never came to fruition and I had the triple threat and it was kind of eh um, but then January of this year a new company called Pro Wrestling Religion us together and as far as emotionally as far as how the crowd was into it and like how things went that best match of my 15 year career the build was perfect the flyer was perfect there's like a, there's a mini documentary on Facebook it's like a 10 minute video of a documentary about the match um, it's, it's, it's probably one of my proudest matches ever if not the one I'm most proud of uh, and even told me after the match he's like you know, you've been saying it for years and we've always crossed paths. We run in some of the same circles and we know each other, but he's like, you really are the Southern version of me. Our chemistry was off the charts. We'd never worked. And like, it just, it just clicked. It was perfect. Um, <clears throat> and through that, I mean, Sammy books me for Pro Wrestling Revolver. I get to work in Iowa. Uh, he's a big fan of my stuff. I've become friends with, you know, a lot of his guys and, it's been a really good experience. Uh, as far as ACH goes, we didn't get along when he broke in. Um, there was a story going around that my roommate at the time paid me money to rough him up in a match, which isn't true. He harbored that heat for a long time. He started to blow up. We kind of reconnected, but he was kind of he was apprehensive to be cool with me about it. But then we started to work, and we, we have great chemistry because when we wrestle, the situation is I'm always the heel he's always the face and there's like when, when you put us in the ring facing each other the story is there you don't have to say anything you don't have to do anything you look at him you look at the smile you look at the body you look at the everything he embodies 
and it is good. And then you look at me, and I'm greasy, and my, my scowl on my face, the spitting, the gestures, like, I'm bad. We're the perfect dynamic as far as good and bad goes. Um, and he'll even tell you some of his best matches ever are with me. We've wrestled uh, probably about six times now, and it's just it gets easier and easier and better and better. Um, he's going to kill me if this gets like publicized and like dropped, but his finisher, the buster called the brain buster, I taught him how to do the brain buster. We were at a show, and he's like, Dalton, how do you do a brain buster? I was like, come here. So I taught ACH how to do the brain buster. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to squash our perceived heat and you know put the you know, water under the bridge because he's a great guy. He's super talented. Oh, here's a fun fact. Um, the second tour of Noah I was on, the GHC Junior Tag League, he was there. So it was cool to have two Texas boys together on the Noah tour. As a matter of fact, a little piece of trivia, ACH's first ever Japanese match in Japan at Cork and all was against me. So that's kind of a fun little thing. And it's cool to be a part of his history because, I mean, he's he's on the rise. He's everywhere. Uh, New Japan. He just had that amazing match with uh, Trevor Lee at AEW, the 60-minute classic. Like, Albert's, Albert's probably easily in the top three unsigned guys in the entire world. Really? that's That surprises me. I've seen some of his... Uh matches he's i mean he's pretty good he's on fire in the ring he has crisp wild matches and he does it with his heart and soul and i'm just surprised really no one hasn't really signed him that's a shocker well i remember he he left ring of honor and then he had that run at evolve with ethan pages the troll boys and they had some steam and then i don't know what happened but ethan had that quote-unquote falling out with Evolve and Gabe, and I don't know what happened. Yeah. So I'm not going to like sit here and try to bury anybody or talk shit that I don't know anything about. But yeah. Like, ACH went right after, and I was like, man, I really wanted to see what ACH could do in Evolve. There was a lot of cool dream matchups there. And he kind of stayed low key, but then he popped up on AEW and won the belt, and like he was all over the place again. Then he did the best of Super Juniors for New Japan, and I was like, oh, here we go. Like, he's getting that buzz going again. Like, in the last year, he's been just killing it everywhere. Um, the fact that New Japan hasn't signed him or like NXT hasn't reached out or I mean honestly and I'm not speaking on behalf of ACH or Ring of Honor this is just me as a fan speaking from my perception I would personally love to see ACH go back to Ring of Honor I think he's got some unfinished business there uh, I think he'd be a lot of, I think he'd be a great asset to that company but that's, again that's just my opinion so yeah. Um, also, you um, like you said earlier on the, on the show, um, you wrestled at Ring of Honor. You wrestled there a lot at Ring of Honor. Um, what was some of your favorite matches when you were wrestling at ROH? I had my first match there in 2009 uh, when they did the WrestleMania shows the weekend, uh, the WrestleMania 25 in Houston. Night one was me and my roommate Don Juan against uh, Grizzly Redwood and Bushwhacker Luke. Or no, Butch. Which, I mean, think about that. You're at a Ring of Honor show in 2009, and you're wrestling a Bushwhacker. <laughs> Pretty cool thing. Um, Adam Pierce was the booker at the time, and I remember Adam Pierce coming to me and my roommate Don Juan at the time being like, I'm glad that I picked two professional workers for that match. Because for being the first match on the show in front of a WrestleMania-style Ring of Honor crowd... We had them the whole time, and they loved it. Uh, the next night was a six-man tag with some local guys and some of the students. Uh, it was a good showing. 
I mean, I've wrestled so many matches there. Uh, man. I know, it's a lot, isn't there? <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, I did the two recently. Uh, honestly, the one with me and Rhett Titus versus War Machine um, from, I think it's February of 2017, uh-huh. or March 2017, in Dallas, Texas. It's me and Rhett Titus versus War Machine. That match is awesome. Uh, it's nonstop. It's just it's a really fun match. If you have access to the Honor Club or the DVD, go check it out. It's uh, February 2017 Ring of Honor Dallas show. It's me and uh, Red Titans versus War Machine. It's yeah, it's a really good match. I love that. It's probably my, maybe it's my best showing, but it's one of my strongest ones for sure. Um, I also saw a match with you where you took on uh, Love of Bates Blue Pants, and she was dressed as the Undertaker when she wrestled you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I uh, sometimes in wrestling, and I, you know, I, I don't care who listens and hears this and gets mad at me, and I don't care what heat it gets me. Sometimes us as pro wrestlers, and I can think of a few. I won't name them, but I can think of a few in particular that do this. They take themselves too seriously. When I was a kid, like I liked Hogan, I liked Savage, I liked Demolition, and if you look at those four people, they're all different. Hogan was just that baby face that, that that strong American hero and then you have at the time the macho king he thought he was the king of everything it's just like a, a grimy but talented bad guy then you have demolition we're just like rough face paint in your face just brawlers but the one thing about wrestling that I liked as a kid was with even with all those different styles I always had fun watching it. and I feel like nowadays people take themselves too seriously sometimes sometimes and I think and I'm not saying for comedy matches, but I think there's not enough fun in wrestling. Like, I still want to watch wrestling to have fun. I don't want to watch it to, like, dissect the five-star quality of this Melcher classic. I want to watch it and relax and have a good time and have fun. Um, so when the promotion MPX that runs every Saturday in Bedford, Texas, a little suburb outside of Dallas, uh, they pitched me and Leva Bates as Undertaker. And I was like, dude, I'm totally in. Um crowd was totally into it and it was probably one of the most fun matches I've ever had like that was a lot a lot of fun I I wrestled Eva a couple times I wrestled her once in Wrestle Circus in Austin and she was uh, dressed as Sammy Callahan she was Eva Callahan uh that was a fun one too. So I'm all about having fun. I, there's 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 times to be serious and there's times to joke, uh, and there's times to just have fun and just grab a good old fashioned professional wrestling match the fans can get into. So yeah, that actually the lead, lead was awesome. I had a lot of fun there. Um, when you're talking about when you had your three tours in Japan, um, what was your most memorable moment over in Japan? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe the tag match with ACH, giving him his first match in Japan. Um, the, the first show I did there, I had no idea this was happening. I got to the building that day, and uh, Lance was there, and Lance goes, "Do you know what this show is?" And I was like, "No, what's going on?" He goes, "This is the Masawa Memorial Show. This show is in honor of Masawa. Everybody had to wear a green like sweatband on their wrist. There was a banner with Masawa's." like uh, a picture of him on it hanging from the, the side of the building and I was like wow like I'm I'm here at the Masala Memorial show that's that's crazy in itself wrestling in Cork and Hall was I if I didn't have two kids when my work visa was up I would have applied to just move to Japan I wouldn't have came back um the training was amazing it was so much fun learned so much 
I guess the Masala Memorial Show would be my fondest memory. AFH's first match. Uh, yeah, those two would have to be the strongest ones. Um, one thing that I, I, I'd like to point out, everyone's on the New Japan bandwagon, and I get it. There's They're, they're a locker room full with highly talented individuals. But in a world where there's only one number one I want people to take time out of their schedule and to go check out the current Noah product. Guys like Tatsuhiko Nakajima, guys like Keno, uh, those guys, me and Lance talk about it all the time. If I had the ability, the financial status, or the status in the wrestling world to pluck anybody from Japan and bring them to America, because I feel like in my heart they would be big stars, it would be Nakajima and Keno. Those two guys are just as good as anybody on the New Japan roster. Brian Cage did a tour of Noah, and he wrestled Nakajima, and I was just on a show with Brian Cage recently, and me and him were talking, and we're like, dude, Nakajima is just as good as anybody in New Japan or anybody here in the States. The guy is absolutely incredible. Uh, but it's, it, the Noah's business hasn't always been the best ever since Masao and I. But, I mean, they're starting to come back. When I was there, Corbin Hall was drawn six, seven, eight hundred people. Their um, Global League finals just happened, and the crowd was 1,400 people. So, I think they're getting back to, you know, a little more successful business tenure, but I, I, I want there to be more awareness. So, if you're listening to this, please check out Keno. It's K-E-N-O-H. Uh, Kachihiko Nakajima. Good luck spelling that. Um it just, it, 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 but really, I mean, Hajime Ohara, uh, Katoge, Goshiozaki, there's so many talented guys on that roster, but they get overshadowed by New Japan. And I get it. Like, New Japan is the WWE Japanese equivalent. But I feel like maybe that makes Noah the Japanese Ring of Honor. So people should, you know, go out of their way to check out Nakajima, Keno, Goshiozaki, Katoge, Harada. Daisuke Harada is amazing. That guy is so good. Um, there's so many guys over there, and I just hope that somebody hears this and checks it out. And, like, it trickles down or trickles up, and, you know, Noah continues to grow and get better again. And it's pretty good as well. So when you're not in the ring, what does Andy Dalton enjoy when he's not wrestling? Uh, I like to work out. It's a good stress relief. Um, spending time with my kids is great. I'm not really like a club guy, a party guy. Uh, uh, I don't like to like get out my age, but I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken. I'm older than 25. Uh, so I don't, I'm not really like, I'll go to a bar maybe once every couple months with some guys after a show like, Hey, let's go grab a beer or something. But I mean, like I'm a homebody. I'd rather be at home with my daughter watching TV or, you know, I have a daughter, so makeup and my little pony and LOL dolls and all that stuff is her thing. Um, if I don't have her, like my favorite television show of all time that I'm actually watching right now with Amber, uh, is Roseanne. I have every season on DVD and like, it's my favorite show ever. Uh, I'm a horror movie fan. I'm just a homebody. I just want to, you know, hang out and enjoy life. And speaking of horror films, what's your favorite horror film of all time? Are you asking straight horror or like suspense thriller? Like, hey, there's, there's always that. Of, of all the genre of horror, I mean, of all of them you had to pick, what's your favorite one of, of all of them in the genre? Oh, 
it's a tie between, and it, 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 this doesn't really answer the question, so uh, I'm not trying to duck you, but I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Okay. I grew up watching it as a kid. I had the DVD box and love all of that. Uh, I also love The Devil's Rejects. Um, Rob Zombie did a great job with making that movie, and if you, my favorite part of that movie is the storytelling. You have a family that kills people, and you have a vigilante cop. In the beginning, you hate the, the family who kills people because how they kill people are terrible. And you have the vigilante cop, like, yeah. all right, cool, he's gonna, you know, be the hero. But through the storytelling that Rob Zombie does, you end up feeling bad for the family because the cop, you know, does some underhanded things to get the the, the family. So the the fact is, the fact that Rob Zombie is able to make you care about a family of murderers, that's pretty cool. So I say the Nightmare on Elm Street series, Devil's Rejects. And I'm going to throw in an honorable mention because I'm a huge suspense thriller fan. Shutter Island. It's not a traditional horror movie, but it's very suspenseful and it's got a whole movie elements to it. The movie, I, I, I watch it at least once a month. It's Leonardo DiCaprio's best film. It's eerie. And the ending still gets me. I'm a, I, For those of you who've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. As a parent, at the end of that movie, it's hard for me not to cry a little bit to shed a few tears because it's that strong. I bet it is. And speaking of The Devil's Rejects, did you know Rob Zombie is getting ready to do a third one based after I that? I just saw a... I dated a girl once who every year cosplayed as Baby from Devil's Rejects because she looks just like her. And, I mean, I'm still friends with her. I keep in touch with her. I just sent her a flyer for the new one. I texted her and she's like, this is either going to be really good or absolutely terrible. So... <laughs> I'm definitely going to be checking that one out. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, um, my uh, favorite horror film of all time, I got two of them, is the original Halloween and Phantasm. And um, I also. Phantasm is so underrated. That guy with the mm-hmm. orb is terrifying. Yeah, Angus Grimm, the tall man, and that deep voice of him, special part was like, come here, boy. Oh, that always gets oh, me. Yeah, yeah. And with the. F- Good call. Oh, it's a great call. And with the. Um, with the flying spheres, with the blades in it, where they go right through your head and all that and drill you in. Oh, that's wild. My, uh, my son is actually named after a character from Pet Cemetery. My son's name is Gage. <laughs> oh, really? I'm a big Pet Cemetery fan. As a kid, it, it, that was probably... Nightmare on Street scared me, but I never had any nightmares. Uh-huh. Pet Cemetery gave me nightmares. Like, it really screwed my head up. Like, I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. So, what do you think about the remake of Pet Cemetery coming out? Did you see the trailer for that? Um, I actually saw the trailer on my Facebook, and if you saw me share it, I tagged my mom. My mom lives three hours east of me in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh-huh. She watched the trailer and called me, and she said, hey, when it comes out, will you come to Shreveport and go to the theaters and watch it with me? My mom's an old-school horror buff, and she's like, they've got a big, they got big shoes to fill because they're going to try to modernize it, and if they modernize it too much, it takes away from the old school feel of Pet Cemetery. So, I'm on the fence. Okay. Hit me up about a, hit me up about a week after it comes out, <laughs> and I'll give you a review, but right now, I don't know how I feel about it yet. Okay. So, where can everybody find you on social media so they know what you're going to be doing next? Uh, Twitter, Dirty Andy Dalton. Instagram, Dirty Andy Dalton. All that's all one word, lowercase. Uh, Facebook is the same, just look up Dirty Andy Dalton. My schedule stays busy. Uh, I'm going to pull up my quick on my phone. <laughs> Just a quick peek of what I got going on. Uh, this 
Saturday, I've got MPX in Bedford, Texas. December 7th, MPX again. December 14th, I'll be in Oklahoma for Compound Pro taking on Matt Cross. That has not been released yet, so you got like a hot tip, some inside information. Nice, Matt Cross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next day I'm back at MPX. MPX runs weekly, and uh, if I have an open Saturday, I always make it a point to go there. Uh, 16th of December, Sunday, I'm at Voice City for Heroes Wrestling. Uh, MPX again the 22nd. Uh, the 28th, I will be in Des Moines, Iowa for Pro Wrestling Revolver. Uh, again, MPX on the 29th end of the year. Uh, next year is going to be absolutely January, I've already got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, like nine shows already booked out in January. Three of them being Ring of Honor, one of them being Pro Wrestling Within, who has just moved to Austin, Texas. Um, and here's another thing I'll, I'll give you here first. Okay. It's not confirmed, it's being negotiated. Uh, it's very possible that the January 23rd Pro Wrestling Religion Austin, Texas show will have Dalton Callahan too. Uh, it's being negotiated as we speak. Oh, that's awesome. Speaking of, you know, Sammy Callahan, how you guys, you know, have that great chemistry and, you know, you guys, you know, can get along. Um, has he ever invited you over to uh, Dayton, Ohio and wrestle at Rockstar Pro? I did Rockstar Pro back in 2014. Uh and the office has contacted me a couple times about going up. The dates have never lined up because they're on a Wednesday, and that's kind of difficult. But uh, Sandy actually just mentioned that to me the other day. He said, hey, when you come back to Rockstar, so stay tuned for that. I'm going to get with the rest of the, the office personnel and try to iron out some, uh, some dates and uh, work on some stuff there, too. Hey, um, let me know um, if that happens because I live 20 minutes away, man. Um, I, would, I would love to meet you. That sounds good. I'm totally down for that. Yeah, that's pretty cool if you do that. I mean, because I'm, you know, 20 minutes away from uh, Rockstar Pro Wrestling Arena. So that would be uh, pretty cool to, you know, see you in action and be like, hey. <laughs> did the podcast and I saw him live. That's right, man. I did. He talks, he talks way better than he wrestles. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. He sure does, man. And, and you also got to love Tracy, too, man. What a great girl. Yeah, she's going out of her way to help me with some stuff. She's trying to help me line up some West Coast bookings. Um, she's always been a huge fan and supporter of mine. Um, Tracy's a good person. Like, I love that girl to So shout out to Tracy. I know you'll be listening to this. Uh, you're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. And uh, Andy, thank you so much for taking your time to come on tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, anytime. And everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to the room.